0: Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars. Yeah, today I'm in Clon Clooney, and I'm not saying that right, but my guest <laughs> will in West Wales. A very special guest by the name of Glenn Smale. Glenn, welcome to Cars. Yeah, do you have it in gear, and are you ready to release the clutch?
1: Absolutely. Let's roll.
0: All right, we'll have some fun. So, where you're you are today versus where you will be when this show airs, are two very different places. Before we get started and we talk about that, tell our listeners one little thing that maybe most people don't know about you, Glenn.
1: Uh, well, yeah, I had to give this a bit of thought, but uh, back when I was a teenager, uh, there was the possibility that I could turn professional as a golfer. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, so that, that was a possibility, although um, my plans were scuppered by... Um, my parents, at the times, <laughs> yeah, they're like,
0: we want you to go to university or yeah, 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 yeah. and uh, yeah, become a lawyer or doctor and whatever. Yeah, yeah. But uh, well, that's <laughs> that's pretty cool, you know. I, I people ask this question about if you could be any professional sports athlete in the world and successful, what would you be? And Mm -hmm. my immediate answer, although I've never played golf, is a golfer. Because Mm -hmm. you can play to a very old age. It typically Mm -hmm. doesn't beat up your body too badly. And Mm -hmm. you're in some of the most beautiful places on the planet. Agreed. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you get paid a lot if if you're a star. If you're good, good enough you do. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, No, no, for sure.
0: I think that sounds good. Now, typically I record my shows in advance. If we were sitting on the actual day this show airs, which is
1: August Uh 20th, where would you be sitting today, Glenn? I would be uh, at that time uh, in the press box um, at Le Mans at the 24-hour race. I have my accreditation. This will be my 14th visit to to the race. Yeah, the Friday before, that's the 20th, the Friday before the race itself is typically a day of of no track action. Uh, It's a day where the team's uh, go over the cars. They do last minute preparations. They can do, um, uh, you know, talks with with uh, the spectators. It's an open pit lane the whole day, so there's no no threat or danger to the public because they just walk by and they they look into all the all the pit garages. But uh, yeah, it's a day where the journalists and the photographers can get. Well, some last minute pictures for the the photographers and the journalists can catch up with interviews. Uh, They do their writing ahead of the main race, whatever they can. And um, it's a busy day for for journalists, you know, even though there's nothing really happening.
0: Yeah, well, it sounds exciting now, given the uh, pandemic and the disaster that this COVID has reached. There's a slight chance right now that you might not be able to go, right? They may be shutting things all
1: down again. Well, I've just received notification that the authorities, this is not the racing body, not the ACO who who run Lamar, but this is the actual governmental authorities who may or may not allow you into the country. Now, I've been double vaccinated, so uh, that side of it is, is done and dusted. But the authorities might take a look at you and say, I don't like you, and therefore you're not coming in. Mm. So there's no guarantee, but I've done what I can.
0: Right. That's all we can do right now. Holy yeah. cow. Well, let's yeah. get on with the exciting part of your career and uh, this new book that you've written, which is absolutely fantastic. Allow me to give you a proper introduction. South African-born Glenn Smale started his professional motor journalism and photography career back in 1994. But if truth be told, Glenn has had a driving passion for all things motoring since a very tender age. He started Automotive Research, and archive of motoring and motorsports information. He's authored 50, books covering sports cars and motor racing and founded the photo agency virtual motor Picks, specializing in sports cars and motor sports racing i see a trend in his career path here his newest (laughs) book is titled porsche at le mans thus we're at le mans today 70 years packed with photography narrative and race results porsche at le mans is the definitive illustrated history of Porsche's 70 years of competition in the world's greatest motor race. Glenn has been a member of the Guild of Motoring Riders since 1994. We'll be back in just a minute, but first a word from our valued sponsors, so uh, keep your seatbelts on. Rent them having some fun. We'll be right back. Are you ready to get out and hit the road? Boy, I sure am. This country has so much to offer, and what better way than to get out and drive? Covercraft protects the things that move you. From protective covers for the outside of your vehicles to the inside with dash covers, seat covers, and sunscreens. All creatively designed to keep your vehicle cool for those roadside stops for a meal or to take in the view. Covercraft custom tailors their designs for your special vehicles and manufacturers with the quality and attention to detail that's been their standard since 1965. Road trips can be hard on your vehicle surfaces, so protect them. And when you get home, cleanup is fast and easy. And you want to get a deal? Well, I've got one just for you. Use the code ya 21 at Covercraft.com and you'll get 10% off your Covercraft order. That's right, 10% off compliments. Of course, yeah. Simply use the code YEAH21, 21, yeah21, 21, at checkout. I've been protecting my vehicles with Covercraft covers since 1975. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. Go to covercraft.com today. When it was time to renew my collector car policy, my carrier raised my rates by a lot. But why? My usage was the same, my car's value was the same, and I had never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. The only change was their rate, and they had no reason why. What's with that? I researched my options, I spoke to others, and with American Collectors Insurance is where I now have my policy. What a difference. A live person actually answers the phone. She spent time learning about me and my Porsche Turbo, the one I call my orange crush, and provided a reasonable quote. American Collectors Insurance now protects my special ride. I'm saving hundreds of dollars and I can sleep at night knowing my baby is properly insured. Why wait until your next premium is due? Give them a call today for your personal agreed value quote. Call 866 866 ac1 yeah that's 866-224-9324 tell them you're a friend of mine mark green at cars yeah american collectors insurance classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors automotive enthusiasts just like you and me that's american collectors insurance <laughs> All right, Glenn, so let's dive a little deeper in the corner as they do after they come off the Mulsane straight there. Uh, Heavy on the brakes. I think it's a right-hander right there. Uh, (laughs) I'd love for you to talk a bit about your career, and then we're going to dive into this new book because I'm a huge Porsche fanatic. My listeners know that. Le Mans, probably the greatest race of all time. So, Glenn, take the wheel.
1: Okay. Well... Yeah, as you said in your intro, um, motoring enthusiast from a very tender age, I didn't have to be pushed or prompted into liking motor cars. It was just something that I did. It was automatic to me. My father used to take me to the races in the city where I grew up in South Africa called East London. That's not the UK. That's South Africa. Uh, east London on the east coast of the country, and uh, not many people know that East London was, in actual fact, one of the main motorsport centres in South Africa. Well before Kyle Army ever reached uh, notoriety as the main circuit, they used to have the Auto Unions racing at East London. These are the big old Type C Auto Unions in 19 in the mid 30s, 1936. They were racing there. So it's a it's a good uh, centre for motorsport. And I grew up loving cars. My, my dad was forever under the bonnet fixing cars, tuning, timing, changing points and condensers. And I was there passing the spanners. So from a very, very young age, it's been motor cars for me all the way. Also, East London is is well known for um, the, the world champion 1979 Formula One world champion Jody Schechter. He came from East London. He lived not far from us. Uh, I've had many interviews with Jody over the years. He lives here in the UK now today as well. So he and I uh, have had many chats, and uh, that's one of the one of the things that East London can be proud of. Absolutely. And Glenn Smale. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you for that. Uh, we happen to live, uh, as, as you also mentioned in your intro, we happen to live overlooking the golf course. Uh, which is possibly something that played a, a role in why I, I got uh, stuck into the, the sport as, as a young 12-year-old. I think I was 11 or 12 years old. Mm-hmm. So that became a passion of mine. Motorcars was never far away from um, my my uh, radar. And, uh, yeah, it was it was just for me, life was great at that particular point. Do you still
0: play golf today?
1: I don't. And this is because, you know, family comes along and you, you have young kids. You need to allocate your finances to more important things. <laughs>
0: I understand. Uh, and
1: golf, <laughs> golf takes you away for a whole day or half a day at the very least. And, um, yeah, it, it was just something that I, I had to push to the side. I understand.
0: Uh, same with me with vintage racing. It was uh it awesome. became kind of a bit of a selfish fun thing for me. Uh the family wasn't quite into it and it takes you away for weekends and takes a lot of yeah, money out of your checking account. Yes. <laughs> that's for yes. sure. Uh but you know I live here on a golf course and I don't uh, play golf. You know, I, I tried it once, Glenn, but the windmill at the end, I couldn't hit the ball through the windmill, you know. It would just, <laughs> So I gave it up. So I'm teasing. I live in a real golf course, but I, I only enjoy walking around it. I, I don't play yeah. golf. But it's something I always look at that sounds like it'd be pretty fun. Well, let's dive into Le Mans because it is the race, the quintessential endurance race. I've had many Le Mans racers. In mm-hmm. fact, I even had the most winning Le Mans driver ever on the show here. Uh, some amazing people. So as you dive into this book and as you started putting this book together, and you've written a lot of books, what are some of the things you can share with us that you learned about Porsche at Le Mans specifically that kind of surprised you?
1: Well, yeah, there's, uh, where do I start? My goodness. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, Le Mans is, as you've as you've said it, it's the one of the most fantastic endurance races on on the the, the annual calendar. And um, my first book that I wrote. Uh, was was called uh, Porsche, the Carrera Dynasty. And although Porsche didn't win at Le Mans with a Carrera at that time, uh, it exposed a a lot of Porsche's heritage to me. And I became deeply involved in researching Porsche and its history uh, for that book and and books that followed. By doing that research, I found that Porsche was really a very, very well-engineered motor car. The guys did things at um, did did things to the Porsches, to the cars that really made them win, or allowed them to win, if you like. But then they would transfer that technology to their road cars, and it was the road cars that kept kept the company going. Racing was a way of communicating their cars and their technology to the world but road cars obviously kept them in business so i was impressed with their technological prowess their um their professionalism and so um yeah their first race at le mans was 1951 and when i found that out and they'd only been in business for uh 3 years wow the com- the company was only formed in 1948 that's right yeah, yeah. i never thought of it that way yeah yeah and their first race at le mans was 1951 and it was with a, a little uh, 1100cc 356, what they're called the Gamund Coupés. These were the lightweight, lower roofline, uh, aluminium-bodied 356s. And this car won its class on debut. Amazing. The company's three years old, and it wins its class on debut in what was then the, the toughest race, really, on the planet. So that, that for me, was was quite a, an eye-opener. And I thought... A little while ago, I, I wrote the I did, I did the 60 years book on Porsche at Le Mans, and that was obviously a decade ago. I was then approached by by MBI quarter, uh to do the uh, the follow up, the sequel to that, 70 years. And uh, you know they have they have won Le Mans 19 times. Incredible. The next manufacturer is Audi, who have won it 13 times. Now, all right. Audi won their 13 races in a very short space of time, but the company had come a long way by the time that they went motor racing. Porsche started basically when it was three years old. They have competed at Le Mans every single year since '51, whether it's been with a works car or a privateer car, they have competed every single year, and to me, that is just awesome.
0: It's incredible, you know. I have a great print by the photographer Jesse Alexander, yes, who I've I've known for decades, and I had it hanging in my son's room from the time he was in his crib, and mm-hmm. it's a picture of the 550 Spider at Le Mans uh, with the they're changing the uh, the disc or. Uh, not disc brakes, but the drum brakes on that vehicle. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Porsche is standing up there looking down, always with his coat yeah. and tie on and his <laughs> hat. And I remember much later, my son's, that picture is still hanging in my son's room. He's all grown oh. up and moved now. Someday we're going right. to change his room into a guest room, but it's still his room. And yeah. I remember years later, he was saying, you know, my whole life, I always looked at that picture like, who is that? What is that mm-hmm. car? What, what, is the, what are those people doing there? But the yeah. fact that they're linear it's so long their history and yeah, their success yeah. is incredible and when most of us think of Lamar, we think of the Porsche 917s the gulf livery cars yeah, because yeah, yeah. of the movie that came out you know with uh, Steve McQueen and so forth but mm-hmm. it's just amazing uh, what that company has done and again my listeners know I'm a huge Porsche fan so it's easy mm-hmm. me, for me to be excited about mm. them uh, when you think about all this time and, and putting this book together, and let's let's tackle the last ten years since you wrote the sixty-year, mm-hmm, now the mm-hmm. seventy, another ten years, <laughs> Glenn. You're going to be writing mm-hmm. the eighty, so uh, <laughs> get prepared for that. Uh, time is time is flying by like a like at Lamar. The last yeah. ten years of what Porsche has done, what. What kind of stood out for you? Because car technology has really come along. You think of Audi, what they did with uh, racing diesel motors, and then Mm -hmm, we see mm -hmm. e-cars coming along, race cars. Uh, What do do you think about the last 10 years?
1: Well, um, Porsche were not active as a works team in that 10 years until 2013. 2013, they came back into Racing as a as a manufacturer with their GT car, the 911 um, GT GTE class RSR, that was 2013, and they they raced then with that car. 2014, they entered with the 919. That's the the hybrid 919, the V4. Where Porsche came with the V4 engine. This is not in their heritage. Everybody. Th- Everybody thought, you know, is this car even going to go? Well, it it soon soon showed, uh, you know, a clean pair of heels to many cars. But they didn't win in 14. They won 15, 16, and 17 with the 919 at Le Mans. Uh, So it it was a fantastic motor car. It shows, though, that after an absence of, um, well, the previous time Porsche had won Le Mans outright was 98 with the GT1 car. So between 98 and 2014, 15, 16 years, they came back and they they basically brought with them a winning car. So the technology had changed so much because this was now a hybrid car. Uh, it had not a permanent four-wheel drive because that's not allowed at Le but it had the, the four-wheel drive, which was driven by the electric motors on the front wheels as they came out of corners, and then they lost that power as they went down the straights, but then they picked it up in the next corner. So it was a technologically it was a, a very sophisticated period. It is incredible and
0: as you said Porsche like many manufacturers take their track experience and put them into road cars and Porsche yep. specifically you think of that great 959 racing Paris to Dakar yeah. and, and later yeah. on ending up with I had a a C4S Porsche 911 yeah. all-wheel drive car. So y- there you go. I mean they're learning all the time. Yeah. Let's take a fun little trip 10 years ahead of ourselves here Glenn. <laughs> uh do you suppose when you're riding the 80th uh a- anniversary uh, of Porsche at Le Mans it's going to be all EVs? Do you think it'll happen that fast?
1: Uh goodness me. Um I don't know. You know there there's different schools of thought. Uh there's 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 certainly justification for looking into E racing. I mean, I can understand the rationale behind it. I'm old school. I don't buy into e racing like, like maybe the youngsters do. I think that um, uh, the <laughs> you, you've got to have some kind of internal combustion engine which is going to. Make a noise and sound, you know, like like it's going somewhere. Uh, I think to excite the the spectators in the stands. It's I I don't know where e racing is going to go and if it will catch on to the same extent. We we're going to have to see.
0: I guess So we will see. It's sure coming yeah. on fast. That's for sure. Let's, yeah. let's take a short break. When we come back. I want to talk a little bit about a challenge you may have faced in writing this book. Mm-hmm. So keep the seatbelts on and we'll be right back. Cars Yeah! is proud to support our veterans, which is why I've teamed up with our nonprofit partner, partner, TechForce Foundation, through its Veterans at Work military transition campaign. The tech shortage is very real, and our country needs skilled, qualified techs to keep our cars, trucks, airplanes, and fleets rolling. When so many vets build their skills in maintaining and servicing vehicles when deployed... TechForce helps transition those skills to jobs as professional technicians when they come home. Learn more about TechForce Foundation and its Veterans at Work Military Transition Fund at techforce.org today. What began as a charitable car show has grown into the world's greatest collector car auctions, raising over $133 million for charitable organizations to date. For nearly 50 years, automotive enthusiasts from all over the world have enjoyed the Barrett-Jackson collector car auctions, and I'm a huge fan. Regarded as the barometer of the collector car industry, their auctions are world-class lifestyle events, where thousands of the world's most sought-after unique and valuable automobiles cross the block in front of a global audience, in person, on TV, or streamed online. Barrett-Jackson produces the world's greatest collector car auctions in Scottsdale, Arizona, Palm Beach, Florida, Las Vegas, Nevada, and new for 2021, Houston, Texas. The excitement of Barrett-Jackson Auctions is contagious, and a unique experience is not to be missed. Barrett-Jackson, the world's greatest collector car auctions. So let's talk a little bit about challenges here. When you're putting this new book together, were there some new challenges that came to the forefront uh, versus the last
1: time you wrote on the 60 years of Le Mans? Um, yes and no. No in the sense that, uh, the, 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 you know, I, I could take a fair bit of what I had written in the 60-year book and although I had to modify that for the format of the new book it, it and that required some uh, editing, sub-editing, cutting stuff out, adding new new stuff in, uh, w- one of the things that, that people don't realise is that as you write, you, you can write a new story about an old car or even a person who was interviewed uh, some years ago and people think well that's the definitive interview or the definitive story about a certain model of car new material is coming to light all the time as people find stuff in the archives or as stuff is uh, even transferred from the racing department to the archives it wasn't previously available to you because you can't go into the racing department. But there's new material being brought out all the time. And so you sometimes have to correct some details, which means that at the time you wrote the previous book, it was correct to the best of your knowledge. Right. But, you know, new, new stuff can come to light all the time. But, uh, yeah, it, it was it was an interesting challenge because also the book is now going to be read by people who did not buy the first book. Mm. So people will now have the opportunity who didn't have the opportunity earlier because perhaps they couldn't find a copy. Uh, now there's there's an uh, uh, you know there's going to be the opportunity to buy an, a new a new version. So um, also I think this book will be printed in slightly greater numbers. So that that will be you know a good thing as well. Absolutely. You
0: know, I spent some time at the Ferrari factory in their F1 Cliente division, spent three days there, and I got to to go into their archives and see actual notebooks. Uh, we were looking at a, a, a Nikki Lauda car at the time okay. and, and see notes that the mechanics and the engineers and even Nikki wrote when he would bring the car in and things like that. Does Porsche have that type of a facility? And are you able to go in and explore that? Or do they keep all that pretty tight to the chest.
1: They keep it tight to the chest. But if you are doing a feature like a feature for a well-known magazine, or if you're writing a book, they will go and fetch that stuff for you and bring it to you. And you can go through it and you will find all the engineer's notes, the notes from various drivers, mechanics, tire reports, all sorts of stuff where they changed gears, uh, because something had worn or broken or whatever the case was, all of that needs to be recorded and it's all there. I, I admire the people who have to document all that, <laughs> document it and actually say this is in there, this is where you go and look for it.
0: Right, right. And and nowadays, of course, everything being on computer that can be much more detailed and accessed easier than those notebooks that I was pulling off the shelf at Ferrari and opening these things with white gloves on and yeah, reading, yeah. reading little notes and trying to understand what does that Italian say? You know, it's, yeah, it was amazing. You know, you've written some wonderful books. You've been in the motorsports industry for such a long time. Uh, is there a bucket list idea for you of a future book that you'd really like to pen?
1: Uh, yeah, but I can't tell you about that You can't.
0: That's a secret <laughs> one. Well, I'll tell you what uh, we'll do, Glenn. We'll have you back when that one's done, and we'll yeah, talk absolutely. about it
1: then. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, th- there's so much. You know, I've got articles that I want to write for magazines, and I'm somebody who does not take the history that's there. If, if I'm writing a story about a car or a person, well, let, let's do I'll give you an example. I, I did the, the history of Moby Dick the Porsche 935-78 9, 70, Moby Dick, I sat in the archive at Porsche and I interviewed Norbert Singer. Oh, wow. And um, I've interviewed him a few times, but this time I, I said specifically I want to talk about two cars, two cars only. And one was the 935 Baby, yeah, which was a 1.4-litre engine, and the other one was uh, the 935-78 the Moby Dick. And I... Prior to the interview, I asked the guy in the archive who organized all this for me um, <clears throat> if he could please just supply me with a, um, a printed photo of the front and the back of each of the two cars. So I put these on the desk in front of Norbert Singer and I said, Mr. Singer, can you explain this aspect of the body design? Why did you do that? Why this? Why that? And when you talk to these engineers, they they will quickly pick up if you've not done your homework. And so if you're saying, it's a pretty car, why does it look like it does? You know, he's going to give you some waffle. If you say to him, why does that aerofoil sit like that? Why does, for instance, the 935 baby, it's got an exhaust that comes out the side of the car that looks like a cannon. It doesn't come out the rear of the car. It's got a single exhaust that comes out the side. And I said to him, can you explain that? Ah, he says, Mr. Smale, it's like this. And he goes into a whole description of the engine and the change in air pressure and this and that. And the whole thing makes sense. And, you know, when, when you actually talk to these guys and you show the level of interest and respect that they they deserve, they open up.
0: Great advice
1: for me. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep that in my
0: notes. You, you know, you're a guy who's been around cars, motorsports. You love this. Is there a very special vehicle in your life that you could share a quick little story about?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, it, it's a, about a person in in a particular car. It was a nine <clears throat> a nine eleven. It was a. How can I say this? It was. Um, it it was a model of um, an earlier car. That they they this this guy had had done an, an engine for, but it wasn't so much about the car, but it was the person who was driving it. The person I was sitting with, the car had a special development which they they wouldn't want me to explain too, in too much detail. But the person who was driving it was Gunter Steck Koenig. Does this name ring a bell? Why does it ring a bell? Well, Gunter Steck Koenig was one of these guys who drove in. 1968, 69, 70. He drove in the, uh, the Marathon della Route, okay. which was the 84-hour 80, race. Not 24-hour, 84-hour race at the Norburg Ring. 84 hours? 84 hours. Guys had accidents. They went off into the bushes, tumbling over head over heels because they'd fallen asleep. Oh, my gosh. It was a, a race of absolute attrition. He said to me he loved it <laughs> Wow. because he could, he could settle down and he could create his driving theme. He could create the way he was going to race and attack every corner. And he could improve lap after lap after lap. And um, so he, he came third in 1970 in, in one of the Porsche 914s. Uh, there were three orange cars in 1970. They came first, second and third. And he he came third. But what was so special about this drive with him that I had just a couple of years ago, we went up this hill in Germany, and I was obviously sitting in the passenger seat, and I was looking across at him. His his focus was like a a lion or a cheetah having his eyes fixed on prey. Mm. Its prey is there 100 yards ahead or 50 yards ahead, and his eyes do not leave the prey. He moves... But his eyes stay fixed. So I'm looking at this guy, and his eyes are looking ahead on the road. Now, we went through a couple of S-bends, and like a true racing driver, he takes them all absolutely straight, (laughs) cutting the corner in each one. But a car appears around the corner of the last one, and he moves over, lets go past, and he's out again. And his his vision – now, this is a guy of – I hope he's not listening, but maybe he's 80-odd. I mean, if he was driving in 1970, uh, you know, he's got to be 80, 80 plus. He crunched the gears once in 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 changing, uh, changing up. He leant forward and he tapped on the top of the dashboard. He said, "Sorry, my old girl." He said, "I didn't mean that," <laughs> and he was genuine. He was so it it was he was so focused. Wow. This is what impressed me so much with this guy. That's uh, impressive. And, yeah, he, he he didn't make a mistake again. But I was. I just watched him the whole way. I was hardly watching the road. <laughs> wow! You know, I've, yeah, t- no. I've
0: tapped my dash a couple of times, saying sorry to my car. <laughs> I did something silly. He's like, "I'm really sorry. Please, don't Dude. break." Oh my gosh! <laughs> well, that's a wonderful story. Thank you for sharing that. What a what a privilege to be with somebody like that. Can't even imagine. Endurance racing is so fi- uh, so wonderful to me, and I can't imagine though eighty four hours. Holy cow! That. That takes a whole other level of consultation. I'm going to crawl into your head a little bit here, Glenn. If you were a vehicle, what would you be and why? Uh,
1: Yeah, well, um, (laughs) I had to give this one a little bit of thought. And um, I would have to say that I would like – well, I would be a 1973 911 Carrera RS. Reason? Well, the 73 Carrera RS was – it was the beginning of Porsche moving into the big league, and the car looked like this. Was the first car to have the ducktail on the on the engine cover at the back, and that 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 ducktail is the only clue that gave it away. Really, if if you looked at it quickly and looked away again, it was understated. It didn't shout at you. Uh, okay, some people might say the colours shouted a bit at you, but this is the 70s, and all colours shouted at you in the 70s. Sure. It was a car that had incredible performance and the reason I kind of honed in on that one was because when I used to play golf, I didn't used to like to lead any tournament or be up in the highlights at the front. I'd rather be hovering a shot or two back and then, you know, and then pounce. <laughs> <laughs> pounce at the end. Yeah. <laughs> and, and in many ways, I think this car epitomizes that, that sort of attitude. It, it did its talking through what it, what it was capable of. Very nice. And, uh, that, that might sound a bit grand for me and my golf, but uh, <laughs> you know, you, you can always dream. <laughs> yes,
0: you can. Well, that's the you know that's the holy grail for a lot of early 911 owners is to have that 73 Carrera right. RS. I mean, that's the car to have. And I've got a good friend here lives near me who had one for quite a while. That was wonderful. In fact, he got to take it on the lawn and won a trophy at uh, the Pebble okay. Beach Concours with it. So, uh, yeah, beautiful, beautiful car. If only we'd all bought one back when they were affordable. Oh. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) No, not not anymore much less if you Uh, get into the rsrs uh, or the IROC cars yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. that would be pretty cool too i'm going to take you on the ultimate drive here before i let you go glenn i'm going to allow you to pick any vehicle in the world that you can be in you can be with any person they can be driving or you can be driving and this person could be somebody living or someone who's passed so what does the ultimate drive look like for glenn smale
1: well again uh, i i Gave this one a little bit of thought, and um, I would have to say, I'd like to be in a 1968 911 R, okay. in the passenger seat with Vic Elford at the wheel. <laughs> yeah, quick Vic, <laughs> quick Vic. Yeah, uh, I've, I've interviewed Vic many times, and he is, um, he's a really great guy, and he he strikes me as a guy who, in Uh, the the middle 60s, 66, 67, when he really began to make his name was when he jumped into a Porsche and uh, he went rallying. And Porsche said, we don't have a budget for you. Uh, You're going to have to do this on your own. And I think they loaned him a mechanic or so. But they gave him a car, which he had to return to them. And um, he basically learned how to drive the 911. Everybody laughed at him and said, you'll never drive that thing properly because it's tail happy. Mm -hmm. He says, only if you don't know how to drive it. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, he was a guy who took the 911 and in many ways made it what it is today. And the 911 R was the beginning of, um, it was the forerunner of of the the Carrera RS, the Mm 2.7. It had a similar output in terms of of engine power. um, But he was the guy who basically said, this car can do this. And then went out and showed everyone.
0: He did, didn't he? He's been a guest here on Cars Yeah. And I'll tell you a quick story, Glenn. Way back in the 80s, Porsche was doing the Porsche driving experience. They these big right. black trailers, they drive around cities. And I got invited to spend a day at the what was back then, I believe, Jack Murphy Stadium in San Diego, where I was living. Okay. And so uh, I got there. I was very excited to drive all the new Porsche models. They had them all there, including the new 928 <laughs> that okay. that car. Uh, and they would assign one of their driving instructors to you for the day. I kid you not, I was assigned Vic Elford.
1: Oh, my goodness. I
0: couldn't believe it. I I, I yeah, did, yeah, they, yeah. The, the drivers were all there for Porsche. He was not there when I first walked up. I would have recognized okay. him. Okay. And he walked out of the trailer and said, Mark Green, you've got uh, Vic. You've got Vic Elford. And I'm like, the, <laughs> the Vic Elford? <laughs> I was, uh, so, I was so excited. I, don't, I think I went home not even remembering what I'd driven because yeah. to sit next to him, he was such a nice guy. And I'll tell you something funny. The 928 had come out, and I did not like that car. Of course, it yeah. didn't have a rear engine. It was water-cooled. It was just a weird car, you know, for Porsche, Porsche guys. And Vic looked at me, and he said, you know, what do you think of the new 928? I was honest with him. And he said, Mark, at the end of the day, you're going to love this car. Yeah. And he was right. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. The great Vic Elford. Well, well, we all wish him wish him very well these days. Indeed, yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Indeed, yeah. Uh, he's living Recovery. here in the states uh, in Florida, but he's had a, a difficult time. So, yeah, yeah our yeah. thoughts are with you, Vic, the great, quick Vic Elford. Before That's I let good. you go today, Glenn, is there a, maybe a parting, a piece of wisdom, some words of guidance you might offer us?
1: Yeah, I can because I've I've been through some. Okay. Um, some difficult uh, times also in, in my, my working career before I became a full-time journalist. But I would say that in my journalism career, if you have an idea for an article, for a book, for something that you want to do, um, you have, that idea was born in your mind. If you go and tell somebody else about it, they, they, didn't ha- they didn't come up with that idea. They might shoot you down. They might say, you know, why do you want to do that? Uh, just as an example, I, when I did my third book, it was on the Porsche 917, and uh, this was back in about 2009, 2010. It came out, it was a 500-page book that had 900 images in it, Wow. And when I was researching the book, I, I got hold of one of the uh, the owners of, of a 917. And I said, you know, I'd like to speak to you about your car that you've got. And uh, he, he said, well, why? And I told him I'm doing the book on the 917. He said, does the world really need another book on the 917? So I said, the publisher thinks so. And I went ahead and uh, I, I did the book. And when it came out, it was Book of the Month by the most celebrated motoring magazine in the UK at the time, Top Gear, mm. one of the most celebrated, was Book of the Month. Within 12 months, the publisher had reprinted the book Wow. because they'd run out. And it uh, gave the publisher their highest foreign rights deal in the history of the company. There you go. So... If you have an idea, my parting word would would be that if you've got an idea and you, you are convinced about it, you're convicted about it, you're motivated, go for it.
0: It's great advice. Yeah, there's a lot of naysayers out there. Yeah. Just go for it. Do yep. do your dream, as we say. Well, this yeah. wonderful book by Glenn Smale, who we've had a delight talking with today, is Portia Le Mans, 70 Years. Of course, it's by our friends at Quarto Group. I want to thank my friend Steve Roth at Quarto Group for introducing me to Glenn. He's brought so many great guests here to the show. Uh, It's a spectacular book. I'll make sure I put links to where you can get your hands on a copy. You'll want to put this on your shelf for sure. Are there other ways that people can keep up with you? Are you active out there in social media and so forth?
1: Absolutely. We we have a website, Porsche Road and Race. On the Porsche Road and Race website at the top, there's also a link to, to this book that you've been talking about. At the bottom of the, of our homepage is all the social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, it's all down there. Um, so yeah, Absolutely. Uh, all All words, all one word, and go there and have a look.
0: Absolutely. And I'll put a link to that on Glenn's show notes page on the Car Show website. So if you're out cycling or driving or whatever, listening to this podcast, you can go to the website and find it. Glenn Smale, S-M-A-L-E is the spelling of his last name. I encourage you. If you love cars and Porsche and Le Mans, this is a book to put on your shelf. It sits on mine for sure. Glenn, thank you for uh, spending some time with me today. This was quite a delight. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you at Le Mans. Absolutely.
1: Thanks, Mark. You're welcome.
0: I've discovered Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market, driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. Linkage is an actual informed, reasoned opinion And be sure to use the code Yeah when you subscribe and they'll give you $10 off. Boom! Linkage, geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYa.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up